Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. All right. Good morning, everybody. It is great to see you all. Thanks so much for being here. Week two in a series we started last week called Your Self. And we've been talking about this last week we started the conversation that the greatest breakthroughs you're going to have in this life are going to come on the inside of you, within yourself, not outside of yourself. And so we've been taking this some time to talk about those big issues on the inside of you. And hopefully if you missed last week, you can catch that online. And this week we're going to talk about this conflict, this gap that tends to happen inside of every one of us. And it's the gap between what you know to be true and what you tend to repeat to yourself, the tapes that you play in your head over and over many times that are self-defeating. As a matter of fact, I have found through the years that some of the most, the nicest people, some of the most sincere Christian people I have ever met struggle with some of the most defeatist thought processes you can imagine. And maybe that's you at times where you've said, I have definitely had struggles with my thoughts and, and playing back tapes about myself that I know are no good. And, and I just want to say to you today that if that's a part of your struggle, I am so glad you're here today because we're going to talk about how do we learn to get around those things? How do we learn truth in the place of those lies and deceptions? Because here's what's happening. For many of us, you are having those tapes that play back in your head are robbing you of the abundant life of faith and hope and peace that the Lord intended for your life, but you're not experiencing because of some of the junk that is being played in your head. Now, just in case you're wondering, well, I don't really know if that's happening to me or not. I think that might be. So how do you know, we're going to ask a question, how do you know if your thoughts are working against you? And the answer to this question is, you'll be able to start telling by the way that you feel. Your thoughts will always evoke certain types of feelings and emotions within you. So let me talk about a few of those. Here's the first one. You feel bogged down by the weight of the world, like there's just almost nothing you can do. It feels like it's going right. You feel chaotic, like you're out of control. Your life's out of control. You feel afraid a lot of the time. You feel unsure. You feel like a phony, like you're not really being yourself. You're trying to be somebody that you're really not. You feel powerless, like nothing you do really makes a difference, like it's really not changing anything. It feels a little hopeless. You feel frustrated. You feel let down, like life shouldn't have turned out like this. Why is it happening this way? This is not what we planned. This is not what we wanted. Why did it turn out like this? It's just this pervasive frustration. Now, I just want to admit to you something up front. Even as a pastor, I've had times in my life, in my adult life, even as I'm pastoring, where I have had to struggle with just crippling thoughts of self-doubt. And maybe you've had those before where you just start doubting yourself and doubting everything, and it just is frustrating and it's difficult to work through that. And there's this disconnect between what you know is true, but what you feel and what's happening in terms of your thought processes. And, and, and here's what I've learned, kind of an aha through the years. It's this, that most of your unhappiness in this life 
is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself rather than preaching to yourself. We're going to talk about the difference today. Because many times we wind up listening, listening, listening to some tapes that go on all the time, but we need to actively come against that, preaching some truth to that, and rewire some parts of our brain. We're going to talk about how to do that today, because really that begs the question, I mean, can we rewire the brain? Can you change the way you think? That's kind of an audacious statement to say. We're just going to rewire our brain, and we're going to change the way we think. Is that even possible? Uh, to answer that question, I came across an illustration recently I thought was kind of fascinating. Hopefully, you will too. There's a guy. He's an engineer. His name is Destin Sandland. He has a YouTube channel called Smarter Every Day. And Destin, he said, I, I work with a team of engineers. We work with a bunch of welders. And he goes, and actually, the welders are probably much smarter than the engineers because they like to play tricks on us. And one of the tricks they played on him recently, they created this bike it's a backwards bike, and the way the bike works is that when you turn the handlebars to the right, the wheel goes to the left, and you turn it to the left, the wheel goes to the right, and he says, so easy enough that you could cognitively understand, okay, I get it. You turn this way, it goes that way, and then so what they did is they said, okay, now, Destin, we'd like you to get on the bike and ride it, so they filmed him first time he's trying to ride the backwards bike. And he says, okay, in the video, I'm smiling, but I am mad. He goes, I can't get, he goes, I've been riding bikes since I was five years old. I know how to ride a bike. He said, but it's just like, I can't get myself, it's like, I know in my head what I need to do. I can't get my body and the rest of me to do it. And, and I don't know if you've ever felt that way before. Like, I know the right thing. I just can't get myself to do the right thing. Now, Destin is an interesting guy. He gets invited to speak all over the world and do different presentations. He thought, you know what? I'm going to start bringing this backwards bike as a part of my presentation and just see if other people could ride this bike. And he travels all over from Australia, all over the States. And so he had people come up on the stage to try to ride the backwards bike. He even offered them $200 cash if they could ride the bike 10 feet, just 10 feet, like just have to have your feet on the pedals, and nobody, nobody could do it. And these are intelligent, coordinated people. And he said nobody was able to do it. So he goes, I don't even know if it's possible. So he goes home, and he says, so here's what I did. I went home, and I started just like five, 10 minutes a day. I would get on the bike, and I would try to ride to the end of my driveway, turn the bike around, because I couldn't ride it, I couldn't turn it around, turn the bike around, and then ride back. And he said, and I did this just about every day, and I did it month after month, month after, and it felt like I was making no progress. And then one day, about eight months in, this happened. He said, one day, I got on the bike, and it was like something switched in my brain. One day, I couldn't ride it. The next day, I could ride it. It was like my brain had created a new neural pathway to figure out how to ride this bike. But it took time and effort and discipline, what most people wouldn't be willing to give it. And he said, essentially, what I learned was that knowledge does not equal understanding. And many times we think we know, like in our head, we go, okay, yeah, you turn to the right, the wheel's going to go left. You turn to the left, the wheel's going to go right. I got it. No, you don't got it. Get on the bike. 
show us you got it, right? He said, it's a huge difference between thinking you've got something cognitively in your head and actually being able to live it out, actually being able to get it down in your understanding of application and behaviorally being able to do it from day to day. Now, here's the interesting thing. He said, it took time. It was a process. It was a lot of hard work to be able to train my brain to get away from the way I had always ridden a bike. Now, Turns out, this is the same way it is for everybody. Nobody's exempt from this, not even apostles. As a matter of fact, the apostle Paul that wound up writing most of the New Testament in Romans chapter 7 tells us about his own frustration and struggle with the disconnect between what he knows in his head and what he's able to do in his life. That He knows better, but he constantly struggles. Here's what he says. He says, I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. Now, just get this. This is like a spiritual giant. This is the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, okay? Just think about this. This is the Apostle Paul. He wrote this in the Bible. Can you believe this? He said this. He says, my decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Like, I decide it, but I can't do it. I can't seem to ride. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. Anybody relate? Can anybody re- Okay, thank you for being, God bless you for being so honest in church today. Yes, I can too. I get it, Paul. Thank you. That's very relatable. We've all felt that at some point. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? Have you ever felt like that? Like, I wish I could fix this. Like, I know I'm messed up. I know I've got some screwed up wiring. I don't know how to fix it. Like, it's messed up. I mean, you go to therapists, you can go do this, you can do that and read books, and nothing seems to help. And Paul's basically saying, listen here, can anybody help me? Is there anything that can be done? And I love how he ends it. He ends it by saying, the answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions. Do you feel it? The contradictions, it's all around us. It, yeah, 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 you can do that. No, you shouldn't do that. Or, yeah, 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 don't do that. Oh, you're doing it anyway, aren't you? You know, like it's constantly you feel the tension and within you there's this battle going on constantly. And the The big skill that we've got to learn spiritually is learning how to train our brains to understand God's word and to begin to implement it into our hearts, to be able to let it go from our minds. See, the sticking point for a lot of people spiritually is that God stays in their mind. And they know an awful lot about God. Some of you might know enormous amounts of information about God, but that's where it stayed, if you're really honest. It really hasn't traveled out of your head into your heart. It hasn't really become a part of your life. So how do we begin to train our brains? Because if you don't train your brain, the, the kind of default 
loop in your brain is bad news. There's this default bad news loop that just goes over and over again. So how do we relate? Or pardon me, let me ask you this. Can you relate to any of these bad news loops? Now, your bad news that's going on in your head could be a lot of different things, but I've kind of boiled it down to three essential things that might be happening in your head that is hijacking and, and messing you up personally. It may be something like this. I can't do this. You feel like, I'm incapable. I don't, I'm not able. I can't. I, I give up. I quit. Or maybe it's, I, I'm not enough. I'm not enough. I, I'm, this is really a question of your worth. This is a question of your identity as a human being. That Saying, I'm, I'm not enough. And finally, nothing is ever going to change. This is hopeless. This is like, I have no hope that... Um, it, it, it's, it's futile. What's, what is, it's just always going to be like this. There's just really nothing I can do. God can't help me. I can't help me. Nobody can help me. Do you feel some of this going on inside of you? That I'm not enough? Even people, and you portray, you are very successful. You can do anything. People don't even know this is happening inside of you. You feel like, I'm not worth anything. I can't do this, and nothing's going to change. Where is that happening for you? Because the problem is that when we don't address these issues, there is a mechanism that, that usually set in motion, one of two. The first mechanism that we do to try to cope with this, a coping mechanism, is that we try to medicate these feelings. Like, I just want to escape it. Sometimes people escape it with alcohol. It just makes me forget about me for a while, and I can just feel good for a little bit. Or maybe it's some other substance. It's some drug. If I can just escape, if I can just get away from this, maybe it's internet, porn. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, of the cancer that that is within you. It eats you up, but it makes you forget about and feel good for a little bit. Or maybe it's shopping, you know, like where you shop, you know, and shopping doesn't have to be bad, but if you're buying things just to make yourself feel good, I mean, let's be honest, when you buy something new, it feels good, at least for a little while until you have to pay for it, right? You know, it feels good for a little while. Or maybe the way that you like to cope is you like to just binge Netflix or binge Hulu or binge whatever, and then you get lost in a story. That way you don't have to think about your own story. You can just sort of lose yourself. Or maybe the way that you cope with it is through posting on social media, you know? Hashtag too blessed to be stressed, you know? <laughs> yeah. We, I, we just keep posting. Like, I want to at least, I can't live this life. At least it looks, I can portray it somewhere. I can portray it on social media. Look like I live in the, the good life, you know? But deep inside, I'm struggling. So sometimes we cope with it by trying to medicate. Other times we say, okay, here's how I'm going to overcome these negative thoughts and messages. Inside. I'm just going to power up and put it in hyperdrive, and I'm just going to work like crazy to become so successful that I'm just going to overcome this. And we drive ourselves crazy, our family crazy with planning and goal setting and strategizing to the point where we're just trying that hopefully someday that the life will finally be better and it'll be what we had hoped that it would have been. But I want to tell you, all these approaches are just little band-aids. They're not a cure. They don't cure it. They don't address the issue. So how do we put a stop to the noise inside our head? 
Now, before we dive into the answer to this, let me explain to you some about your head, about your brain. Uh, there's a book written called The Mindful Brain by Dr. Daniel Siegel. He is a professor at UCLA, UCLA uh, Medical School, and he's written a lot of books about the brain, spent his life studying it, and he talks about the fact that your brain is made up of about 100 billion neurons all connected together to make every one of your thoughts, every one of your memories shaped by your experiences. And he says, but here's the interesting thing. One of the interesting things he talks about in his book is a thing called neuroplasticity, that your brain has this quality called neuroplasticity, that it, that it can rewire itself. It can change. It's not what's said is said. It, it actually can relearn things that it has always known. It usually happens by introducing it to a new experience or a new environment or doing something totally different than you've done before. And it can be rewired. It's beautiful because it gives us this insight to say, God gave us this gift of this brain, and he also gave us the capacity to rewire it, to change it, to change the messages that are coming from it, that you can actually preach to it and make it different. And there's actually a couple of places in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul speaks directly to this idea of how do you rewire, re organize your brain to be able to overcome those negative thoughts that are really sabotaging your life. A couple of different places. One of them is in Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at verse 2. And here's what Paul said. He says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Why? Because that's the default setting. That's just listening to yourself. That's just listening to culture. That's just listening to what's coming to you. He says, but, let's read the highlighted words together, but let God transform you into a new person. Now, how in the world, Paul, do you expect us to do that? How do you, pray tell, present an option to be able to do that? He says, into a new person by changing the way you think. That's right. You want to change? You want to mess, uh, uh, metamorpho? This is the Greek word for this, the metamorphosis of the mind. You want to change who you are as a human being? Start with the way you think. Start thinking differently. He says this is where it starts. You have to start putting new information in to push out the deceptions and the lies that have been in there. Then you will, let's say it together, then you will learn. It's a process. Learning is a process. Learning is something we think is so important in this country. We have educational systems for our children to learn. It takes years and years and years to educate kids. And, and, and it's a process, and we understand that. But we get so impatient with ourselves when it comes to spiritual growth. But it's to, to learn. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, and not just any will, but his will for you. And that will that he has for you is good and pleasing and perfect for you. <clears throat> you don't want to miss it, but you can't have it. You won't know it until you begin to transform yourself by the way you think. You have to change what's going on within your own mind. So how do we do that? We begin to take every thought captive and we begin to ask the question about some of the stuff that we've just been carte blanche, accepting, thinking, maybe for years and years, and begin to ask the question, is this a good thought or a bad thought? You need to become an expert on your own thought life. 
to know good from bad. You need to become an expert. So let me give you some questions to begin to ask about your own thoughts. Think about some of the messages that play back, those bad news loops that you play back in your head over and over. Maybe you've never really consciously thought about them very much, or maybe you know exactly, you've thought about them a lot, but you really can't seem to do anything about it. Here are some of the questions I want you to ask to be able to identify those things. First one is, is this voice condemning? Is what you're hearing condemning you? Is this voice causing confusion in your life? Is this voice making you timid or paralyzing you? Making you more fearful? Paralyzing you from making a decision? You can't seem to even move forward. You can't commit in a relationship. You can't commit to God. You can't commit. Is that what the voice is doing to you? And finally, is what you're hearing in conflict with what God says in Scripture. Now, this is, this is maybe one of the most important ones because you need to spend time in Scripture to know what it says if you're going to compare it to what you're thinking, right? In order to be able to dwell on what Scripture says, you have to take time to read, say it together, Scripture. Yeah, this is not a tricky question. Yeah, <laughs> I promise not to do that to you, okay? It's like Destin Sandlin getting out on that bike every day, saying, okay, 10 minutes again today. I'm going to ride. I'm going to spend time. I'm going to spend time. I'm going to open up God's Word. I'm going to open up the Bible. I'm going to read it. I'm gonna... And you may not even understand all of what you read. That's okay. Just start, God, reveal it to me. Just add, help me to begin to understand it. Help me to begin to apply it. Help me to begin to... And you can take that truth and begin to preach it to yourself and begin to say, I'm not going to believe that lie that I've been playing back in my head for years and years and years anymore. I'm going to believe the truth instead. And, and here's the thing. If you answered yes to any of these questions, you need to know that is not God. That's not God inside of you that's trying to create fear, that's trying to cause you to feel condemned, that's trying to cause you to shut down, to cause you to keep from moving forward, cause you to keep you from committing it's not him, and it's time that we identify what those things are so that we can confront them. So how do we change our thoughts? How do we change our thoughts? There's another place where the Apostle Paul, in a letter that he writes to the church in Philippi, Philippians chapter 4 in the New Testament, where he gets very specific about how to implement now, he doesn't say neuroplasticity in the New Testament, right? But this is what he's talking about. How do you rewire your brain? How do you change the way you think? How do you do this? He's going to begin to spell it out, ABCs for us right here. So I hope you don't miss this. Here's what he says. He says, and let's read the highlighted words together. He says, don't worry about anything. Do you have anxiety? Do you feel anxious? Do you worry? Are you stressed out? These are things that are in epidemic proportions in our society today, higher than they've ever been in the history of our nation. Do you feel worry? Here's what he says. Instead, let's say it together, instead, pray about everything. So if you come and ask, Pastor Will, I'm worrying. What should I do? You tell me. Pray. That's right. Well, well what, if, what, if, what if, Pastor Will, I pray, and then like an hour later, I start worrying again? Guess what you're supposed to do? You pray again, right? Let's, let's say it happens four times between breakfast and lunch. The fourth time, you start worrying again. What do you do the fourth time? You, you pray again, right? You keep on praying. 
You might have to pray 150 times during the day. Here's the good thing is, there's no like limitation on the number of times you can pray a day. You can pray. As a matter of fact, later Paul talks about in one of his other letters to pray without ceasing. It's like a text you just got, and this is, you know, you're just going to God all, and it's dot, dot, dot. You know, here comes some more. God, I, I'm going to pray some more. Dot, dot, dot. I'm going to, it's just an ongoing conversation all throughout the day. God, here's something else. I'm about to step into this meeting, God. I could really use some wisdom. I really need some patience for that knucklehead I'm about to have to meet with. I'm going to really need to, you know, I, I'm stressed out, or I'm, uh, yeah, you know, God, or God, thank you for this. Thank you for that. It's great. Worry then you pray about everything. Tell God what you need, and let's say it together, and thank Him for all He has done. I I cannot overstate this. This may be one of the most powerful spiritual disciplines that there is once you begin a relationship and walk with Jesus Christ. The attitude of gratitude, to be able to be grateful as a matter of fact, every day, my, my time, my devotion time that I have with God, where I'll read the Bible, and I'll open my devotion, and, and I'll write my verse that I, I get, and then I, I will start my prayer, thank you, Jesus. And I will tell, thank you, Jesus, for that awesome hug I got from my daughter today. Thank you, Jesus, for these wonderful people I get to work with. Thank you, Jesus, that it finally stopped raining. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that, that beautiful sunset. Thank you, Jesus. That my body doesn't hurt today. And the older you get, the more that means something to you, okay? <laughs> you know, like, thank you, Jesus. Uh, yeah, thank him, thank him, thank him. You know what's amazing is that when you practice gratitude, it puts you in a good mood. It puts you on an incredible path. It, it really changes the, your whole dynamic and how you respond to people and things throughout your day when you're grateful Take a moment, if you're worrying, pray, and then take a moment to thank him for what he has done, because you'll never cover it all. You just get to talk about some of it. (laughs) Thank him. Then you will experience God's, let's say together, God's peace, and not just any peace. This is the peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. This peace of God will begin to come. Now, it may not be, you're not going to ride the bike probably the first day. You're going to pray. You may worry, but hopefully the next day you worry a little less. And you pray more and you worry a little less. And the next day a little less. And one day you wake up and you go, my gosh, I'm not ridden with like anxiety all day long like I used to. I'm not worried constantly all the time. I feel so grateful for my life because you've been practicing it. It's a process. You're retraining your brain in a way that honors God. And Paul says it's worth the discipline. It's worth the hard work. Don't give up on this. He goes on to say this in the next part. He says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. He says, let's say it together, fix your thoughts. Again, it's a process to be disciplined, to get your thoughts stuck on, fixed on. What is it? Now he's about to give us, here's what you need to be preaching. I told you what you need to stop listening to. Now here's what you need to be preaching to yourself. He says, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent 
and worthy of praise. There is something so powerful. We say, God, you show me what is right and pure and true and honorable and worthy of praise. You show me, and I want to I dwell on those things. I want to spend time thinking about those things. I want to fill my heart with those things. And I just, God, help me to begin to retrain my brain. It's so incredibly important. And he ends with this. He says, keep putting, let's say, let's say it together, keep putting into practice. Again, it's a process. You're going to want to give up. But be like a professional athlete. You get up and work out every single day, even if you're nauseous, you don't feel like it, you're aching, you're hurting, you do it anyway. You get up, you do it, you force yourself, you go. Keep putting into practice all that you learned and received from me, everything that you heard from me and saw me doing. Then, look at this, this is a wonderful part of the promise, then the God of peace will be with you. Not just his peace, his peace will be with you too, but the God of peace. It's like the presence of God will become so much more real and palatable and powerful than it's ever been before because you've taken the time to fix your thoughts, to preach to yourself what is true, what is right, what is noble, what is honorable. You do that. It's been a number of years ago, but I began to incorporate this kind of a prayer just daily, just, God, I want to experience more of you. I want you to show me. I mean, there was a process of preaching to myself, trying to apply it, and I'm still in the process of learning that every single day, but just really asking God, now, God, begin to reveal yourself to me. Show me where you've been, and I've just been missing it for one reason or another. And I remember one of the first time, seasons of time that I began to pray that was way back in 2004. We were, Leslie and I were living down in Mission, Texas, right on the border of Mexico. I was pastoring a little bitty church down there, and I was starting to feel like God was leading us up here to the Brazos Valley to start a church, okay? And I remember being in my closet, the master closet, praying and we had one of those little half moon windows, you know, up high. Maybe you've had one of those in your house, but up high. And I remember praying, God, just show me. I, I just, I want to uh, know that you're with me. I, I just, if you could just give me something, Lord. And I, and I want to tell you right now, what God did for me, don't expect him to do the exact same thing for you, okay? That's not how it works. He's probably going to do something way cooler for you, okay? It'd be something completely different, because when I tell you this story, you're going to probably think I'm a little bit crazy, and if I hadn't lived it, I would think I was crazy too, okay? But I was in my closet, and I was just saying, Lord, I, I just, would you just show yourself to me? And all of a sudden, I hear this tap on that window, and I look up there, and there's this little dove sitting there, you know? And it's, like, I've never seen a bird up there before, ever. And this, this dove's up there, and he's just like, <laughs> just looking at me. And it won't go away. He's just sitting there for a long time. I mean, my, my wife can vouch for me. It is, this really happened. And it's crazy how God, through the years, has brought doves to me at moments of crisis and when I've worried, when I've been stressed out. It's, it sounds so crazy, but if you think about it, doves were always a symbol of God's promise and his peace. In the Old Testament, uh, Noah, it was a dove that God used to bring the olive leaf back to him to say, I haven't forgotten about you and I will restore this earth and I love you and your family and you're going to be okay. 
And of all of the animals that God could have picked in that moment when Jesus was baptized to descend upon him as the Holy Spirit, he picked a dove. And, and to me, in that moment, it was like, this means something powerful. Thank you, God. And I've had so many, like a half dozen different times since then, where I'll be sitting, maybe even on a patio at Starbucks or something, and a dove will like land right there, like way too close for a dove to be. You know, like, that's not the way doves work. And just sit there and look at me. When I'm stressed out, I'm like, God, thank you once again. I mean, to the point where Leslie's like, did God send a dove again for you? Is that what... <laughs> What is the deal? Well, I remember back in 2013, I was, uh, we, we, 2013, this building was not completed yet. And um, this room that you're sitting in, not completed yet. So we had to have Easter services at Rudder Auditorium at A&M. And, and so we rented it all out, and it was risky, it was scary, you know, like, are people going to know where to park and where to get, and it's like, it's expensive, and the building's not done yet, and there was just so many balls in the air, and I just remember being just like, stressed out that Sunday morning, and I had to come out of the little backstage dressing room, I went out on the loading dock where the 18-wheelers would back up, and big overhead doors, you know, for the uh, backstage area, and I just walked out on that loading dock, and... Would you, would you believe? I looked to my left, and guess what was sitting there? A dove. Wouldn't it have been great if I'd had my phone on me? I could have taken a picture of that. Well, I did. Let me show you what. Look right here. On this little light, let's zoom in a little bit more so you can see her. Look at her. Sitting right there, had made a little nest on top of that light. I know to you, you're like, okay, what's the deal with the doves? I don't know, but God had that dove right there at the moment that I needed to remind me. It was like, I'm putting your word into my life, and God's reaching out saying, I'm all around you. I got you. I love you. You can trust me. It's going to be okay. And he may use something totally different in your life, but when you reach out to him, the God of peace will meet you wherever you are. He will come to you. It is so awesome when he does, because you know it's him, and it's undeniable, and he'll change your life. And God will reach out to you in the moments when you need it most. And I just want to encourage you today to take that time, to, to, to put time in your schedule every single day to listen to him, to preach to yourself. And I want to just say that Easter Sunday was March 31st, 2013. Anybody know what day it is today? March 31st exactly six years ago, and God was good to every promise he gave us. He continues to bless this place, and I'm just telling you, my prayer was, God, don't let this negative garbage I'm saying inside of myself limit me and the church and my family, and God has answered that prayer. I still have to fight it every day, and I want to encourage you, don't let that negative junk that's inside of you Rob you, your family, your church, your friends, your spouse from what God wants to do through your life. It's so powerful. But if you don't take time to put God's word into you, you won't know what to say to you when the deception comes. To put it another way, your heart cannot love what your mind does not know. Your heart cannot love a God that it does not know. You have to take the time to put the wisdom of God into your life. Deposit it. Get on that bike every day. 
Spend your time. Work on it. And there's going to be a day when something's going to start to switch. And you're not going to believe. You're not going to believe how much better it is. But it takes some time. It's a process. It's something you learn and you ask for. But it is so worth the process. And right now, I'd like to ask you to bow with me in prayer. And we're going to pray this, this application prayer simply saying, Jesus, help me to reject all the bad news loops that I'm used to telling myself. I commit to replace them with your truth every day. Would you pray that with me today? Lord, we come before you right now. And we thank you, God, that there is an answer for those negative news loops, that, that toxic junk that floats in our head that tells us we're no good, we can't do it, nothing's ever going to change. And God, today, I pray that we would begin to replace those lies with the truth that you do love us. And that, God, you've got us. And we can trust you. That's what we need to be preaching to ourselves. God's got me. He loves me. I can trust him. God's got me. He loves me. I can trust him. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.